It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. President Joe Biden is making a plea to federal lawmakers to take action to curb gun violence in America. Of course, Democrats never explained how their legislation would stop the shootings. As a matter of fact, their ideas tend to have the opposite of their intended effect. And it's all good, though, as long as they do something, right? That's what they seem to think. Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. He had another chance last night. Joe Biden, President of the United States. Better for worse. I think we all see it's pretty much always for worse. Uh, But he had an opportunity to bring together the American people and say some intelligent things. First of all, about the national healing process that should still be underway in the aftermath of the horrific shooting in Uvalde, um, among some other shootings as well in recent days that haven't gotten nearly as much attention, but also atrocious, uh, the shooting in Oklahoma, for example. Uh, But Joe Biden took the opportunity to give a speech that was rooted in emotional blackmail, a lot of untruths, a lot of misdirection, and was basically just an opportunity to attack his political opponents, instead of actually looking at what would be serious about trying to stop violence in this country, Joe Biden wants to tell you how much he hates the NRA and the gun owners out there who don't want to go along with this. Here he says, though, that he has bipartisan legislation to do something. This time, we have to take the time to do something. And this time, it's time for the Senate to do something. But as we know, in order to do any, get anything done in the Senate, we need a minimum of 10 Republican senators. 
I support the bipartisan efforts that include small group of Democrats and Republican senators trying to find a way. But my God, the fact that the majority of the Senate Republicans don't want any of these proposals even to be debated or come up for a vote, I find unconscionable. We can't fail the American people again. Do what, Joe? And that's really what this comes in. Okay, do what? We'll talk about some of the things that he said should be done. And see, the reason they want to get so much of the emotion out there is that they just want a mobilized mentality on this issue without having to explain how then the actions that they want taken wouldn't actually change anything that we've seen going on. I mean, for example, Biden mentioned there have been 20 mass shootings. Now, how you define mass shootings is something that people uh, have. There are different definitions of it out there, but usually it's three or more people who have been shot. Often these mass shootings involve gang activity and other criminal activity that has, is completely in a different um, category from the kind of mass murder that we saw in that school in Uvalde. But here's Biden saying there have been 20 mass shootings since Uvalde. Watch. Since Uvalde, just over a week ago, there have been 20 other mass shootings in America, each with four or more people killed or injured, including yesterday at a hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a shooter deliberately targeted a surgeon using an assault weapon he bought just a few hours before his rampage that left the surgeon, another doctor, a receptionist, and a patient dead and many more injured. That doesn't count the carnage we see every single day. It doesn't make the headlines. So how would any of the things, which include an assault rifle ban, uh, magazine limitations, how would any of these things that he wants, safe storage requirements, red flag laws, would they have stopped? He said there have been 20 mass shootings. Would they have stopped any of those mass shootings? If the answer is yes, Joe Biden should tell us how and which mass shooting would have been stopped. Let's just say, for example, the shooter in Tulsa, Oklahoma, had been told, sorry, there's an assault rifle ban in effect. The shooter could have just bought a pistol, just as lethal. Could have used two pistols, like the horrific mass shooting at Virginia Tech, where it was two pistols. It was not a rifle that was used in that mass shooting. In fact, if you look at the Fort Hood shooting, another mass shooting, high casualty count, many deaths attributed to that incident, that horrific incident, pistols. Not a, not a rifle. So changing the weapon isn't going to actually change the lethal intent of psychopathic killers. So how would it have stopped anything? He doesn't even pretend that he has an answer to that. But what he does want, of course, is political mobilization here. He wants people who are Democrats, and I guess some independents, although he's not winning over any independents with this from the numbers that we can see. He wants his political rivals, the Republican Party, to suffer the consequences of not going along with these proposals that quite clearly would do nothing to stop gun violence in any meaningful way. Watch. I've been in this fight for a long time. I know how hard it is, but I'll never give up. And if Congress fails, I believe this time a majority of the American people won't give up either. I believe the majority of you will act to turn your outrage into making this issue central to your vote. Enough. Enough, enough. No, he's wrong. That's not going to happen. But it does make the left-wing anti-gun base feel good about themselves. Really, so much of Democrat politics around guns is just 
They don't like gun owners in general, lawful gun owners. Criminals, Democrats always have a soft spot for, but lawful gun owners, they do not like. And they want to always remind uh, everybody of that fact in whatever ways they can. Um, Karine Jean-Pierre says that Biden knows how to get things done because he's taken on the gun lobby. Watch. Thanks, Karine. If the president thinks that Congress must act immediately to end this epidemic of gun violence, is he going to bring any of the key players from Capitol Hill to the beach with him tonight? Oh, okay. Um, uh, So I don't have... a big part of candidate Biden's whole thing that he knows how to get things done. He does. He does. I mean, he's he's beaten the gun lobby before. He has. Then why not but, invite but, these lawmakers but who it's maybe not, haven't beat the but gun it's lobby not, it's and not, say, this is how it's done? But it's not his thing. It's actually fact. We saw he did that in, in the Senate during, during his Congress days, that he beat I, the gun lobby. Think about this. Beat the gun lobby. As if there's some, some all-powerful enemy out there that's the gun lobby. The problem that they have is gun owners, as in Americans who have Second Amendment rights who don't agree with this nonsense. That's it at the end of the day. And by the way, since we're talking about ending, uh, or rather you know, limiting, uh, mitigating violence to the greatest degree possible, loss of life, look at Democrat policies in cities all across the country. Do you think they're really strict about enforcing gun crimes when it comes to, uh, when it comes to people who are associated with gangs, people who have a previous criminal history? Not in New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Chicago. Oh, no. No, they're letting them walk in many cases. They're giving them plea bargains that they should never be handing to people with any kind of violent intent who are carrying firearms on the streets. But, you know, social justice. And then there's this. Oregon's decriminalization of drugs, for example. Democrats push this. Oregon's first in the nation scheme to decriminalize drugs and encourage those caught possessing them to seek medical help has been blighted with problems. They've, they've had a 700% increase in overdoses in the past year, 7X. Another Democrat policy, like going soft on crime, like defunding police, that results in people dying in large numbers. Why don't they address that? Because there's large numbers of people that are dying from this, 100,000 plus overdoses last year. Now, Democrats would rather just do a lot of virtue signaling. All right, we'll have more on this situation with the author and columnist David Marcus when we come back. Let's talk about protecting your home first. I don't know if you saw this. There was a recent story about an Arizona real estate agent who found that the home she lived in was listed for sale. That's, that's fine, right? Except, no, she wasn't actually selling her home. She was the victim of home title fraud, a devastating crime that happens all over the country. According to the experts at Home Title Lock, the crime is incredibly profitable and hard to detect. An identity thief simply creates a fake title transfer for your home and refiles as the new owner. Then he can take out loans on your home or sell it. Typical identity theft services don't cover you and neither does homeowner's insurance. Home Title Lock does. Home Title Lock puts a barrier around your home's title. The instant they detect anyone tampering with your home's title, they help shut it down and they help get your home back in your name. So go to HomeTitleLock.com now. Tell them that Buck sent you for 30 free days of protection. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Again, HomeTitleLock.com. David Marcus stops by in a moment. Support for my podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with its exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code BUCK at manscaped.com. The Performance Package 4.0 includes a ton of men's grooming products like the Lawn Mower 4.0 Trimmer, 
the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a bunch of other great men's hygiene products you never knew you needed, plus a travel bag to hold it all. The Lawnmower Trimmer is the best. It's got a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents, and it's waterproof, so no more messes on the bathroom floor. You'll also get the waterproof Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer with proprietary skin safe technology which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in all those delicate areas. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BUCK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code BUCK to unlock your confidence and always use the right tools with Manscaped. You will not stop us from advancing the Protecting Our Kids Act today. You will not stop us from passing it in the House next week, and you will not stop us there. If the filibuster obstructs us, we will abolish it. If the Supreme Court objects, we will expand it. And we will not rest until we have taken weapons of war out of circulation in our communities. That was New York Congressman Mondaire Jones laying the blame for mass shootings squarely at the feet of Republicans who refused to support new gun control regulations. On the other side of the aisle, Congressman Jim Jordan gave an equally impassioned response. Take a look. Now we know where they want to go. We just said it in the filibuster, expand the court, forget the Constitution. Now we know Democrats blame guns. They criticize the NRA. They call Republicans names. But let's be honest. They've told us what they want to do. Their real beef is with the Second Amendment. A lot of heated words, but ultimately the federal government is unlikely to do all that much to address the issue of mass shootings. Author and columnist David Marcus argues that both sides are at fault for a lack of action. In a piece on foxnews.com, he writes, Both the right and the left in America are responsible for a lack of action to bring mass shootings to an end. The lie of the right is that our Second Amendment and freedom to own guns are somehow not connected to our wildly high number of gun deaths. The lie of the left is that we can achieve the results of Europe or Australia without gun confiscation and the destruction of a constitutional right. Interesting, provocative stuff. Let's talk to him about it. Join me now, author and columnist David Marcus. David, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. So in your, uh, in your piece, you wrote uh, that the real conversation we should be having is this is a conversation we refuse to have, um, a debate between accepting the horrible risks of freedom or of living our lives under greater control and limitations in the name of safety. It is a conversation that requires courage and one that we must no longer avoid. Freedom is dangerous. It is no use pretending it isn't. End quote. Tell me more. So what, what do you, you know, f- philosophically, I, I think I understand the point that's being made. So what do you think about the call to action? A lot of people say we have to do something. Okay, what do we do? I think you have to be very careful about the call to action, especially when it's rooted in emotion and fear. I, I, I think COVID taught us this, really. Um There are legitimate competing interests here. I I think that it's okay for gun rights advocates, and I consider myself to be one, to acknowledge that if if you make a choice to have hundreds of millions of privately owned guns in your society, there's going to be some gun violence as a result of that. Um, But you have to treat that as an adult. I mean, you you have to be able to, to get away from the immediate emotion of something horrible like a school shooting and think about the big picture because what happens otherwise and what happens every time is for five days, everybody gets very upset and Congressman Jordan and Congressman Jones yell at each other uh, and then it goes away and nothing happens. Yes, yes. And I I think in part, David, 
because we had very similar discussions, and I remember this right after Sandy Hook, and there were some states, like New York, for example, passed, I think, the SAFE Act um, that got rid of uh, assault rifles. New you couldn't buy an assault rifle in the state of New York. Well, their definition of assault rifle, because first of all, there are a lot of weapons that are as effectively lethal as an assault rifle that are, that are also rifles. So then there were cosmetic changes made to be compliant with New York regulation. And at the end of the day, it didn't do anything. So I, I think maybe one of the problems is that some of the, we have to take action and then we say, okay, fine, here, what is the list of things you wanna do? I mean, Joe Biden, for example, in the speech last night, talked about safe storage requirements. Mm-hmm. I mean, e- e- even theoretically, if, if that were to pass, who's gonna enforce safe storage requirements? I mean, what, so if somebody get, if someone steals somebody's gun, let's say, and does something horrible with it, someone steals it out of their home, or if a, if a teenager gets, gets their parent's gun and goes and shoots somebody with it, you're gonna throw the safe storage charge on top of the, of, of the charge of, uh, you know, this is, you start to wonder when, you said we should have an adult conversation, at what point do we just say we can't actually control all human behavior and there are already a lot of laws that are trying to do that that fail to do that? No, I mean, I, 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 think, I think that's what you have to say, right? I mean, I think that all of this low-hanging fruit, I, I mean, look, I, I'm not going to say that it's silly. I, I, I think that as long as we're not throwing money away, if, if you want to spend more money on mental health, if you want to spend more money on these sort of like things around the margins, that's fine. Um, but if you're talking about addressing the problem and by the problem you mean we want perfect safety, we want nobody to ever get killed by guns, uh, you'd have to repeal the Second Amendment. I mean, it's it's a, it's a deeply un-American way of looking at the problem because the United States is founded on individual freedom. And really the, the, the main point of that piece is freedom is dangerous. When you give people freedom, Bad things can happen. Also, really wonderful things can happen. And that's the risk that you take. Yeah, I mean, it does remind me at some level of the conversations early on from COVID where, you know, people were saying, oh, but, you know, if we we can create all these, we can shut down the economy, let's say, keep everybody at home. I think we all realize now that was just a completely asinine idea, but that is what, what, you know, for a week, for two weeks, maybe to let the hospitals get capacity. That's how they sold it to us. And then it was just, we're gonna wait out the virus. And everybody realized, well, that can't happen. And people like, I don't remember if you were making this argument, I was making the argument at the time, you probably were too. A lot of people die in car crashes every year. You, yep. could, eliminate all, you could eliminate all traffic fatalities if you made the speed limit 15 miles an hour and you don't have to take away everyone's car. Make the speed limit 15 miles an hour and take away the car of anybody who breaks the speed limit. You'd basically, maybe you'd still have like, you know, 50 traffic fatalities a year. You wouldn't have, 10,000, 15,000, whatever it is we see year in and year out, people don't want to do that. No, and, and when you made that point early on in COVID, you were called a ghoul, right? And it's, yes. the exact same, it's the exact same playbook, right? Because if today you say, listen, the Second Amendment is, 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 is worth some really horrible things that may happen as a result of it, you're called a ghoul, right? It really is the same playbook. And Unfortunately, you can't base public policy on the idea of saving every single human life. It's, it, it won't work. It, it'll usually backfire. And again, it's, it's just not how adults deal with these kinds of situations. What, do you, what did you think? I mean, I, I meant to ask you this at the top, but I found your broader philosophical point uh, something we should dive into right away. 
the, the, the speech Biden gave last night, does he really think that anything is going to be done? It just feels to me like this is the playbook. They give the speech, laundry list of things, basically nothing happens, and then they just go back to, well, we hate Republicans. Yeah, I mean, he had two choices last night. He could have delivered a very narrow speech tailored to that low-hanging fruit, like you know, background checks or, or red flag laws that the bipartisan group in the Senate is working on, and 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 sort of tried to shepherd that through. That's not what he did. As you say, he gave the the classic Democrat uh, speech that says, "I'm not going to take your guns away. Here's 15 ways I'm going to take your guns away." Um, that you know we've been hearing for uh, you know I don't know, decades. The, the one in particular that I really wish I, I just it is stupid, be almost beyond comprehension. Is the Second Amendment is not absolute, and I sit here in New York City where you'd have to to get a pistol, not even an assault rifle, a pistol, you're looking at about a nine to 12 month wait, lots of processing, fingerprinting, about a four or $500 processing fee. So you can get a gun you can only keep at home, you cannot carry, and you have to keep in a lockbox, and you have to keep the ammunition in a separate lockbox, and you can't even leave the city of New York with it. I, I don't think that's an absolute right. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, I think yes. we're in the, the land of, of stupidity when that's even talked about. No, I mean, look, I, I think that's exactly right. And I and I do think that, you know, it, it may be that people in New York City don't want everybody on the subway carrying a gun. I, I mean, that, that, that might not be what people in New York want. And that's OK. Right. And, and we have different laws in different states. And and these are also sort of arguments on the margins where I get that there's people from other states who want to be able to carry in New York. And I, I don't know, like, like those are debates that we can have. Um, but, uh, you know, on, on, on the big on the big issue, um, we need gun rights in the United States, and we need to accept, accept that you know that comes with some risks. I think it's true. Good point, David. Thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. The Biden administration has announced new rules that may defund school lunch programs if school districts don't allow trans people to use the bathrooms of their choice. We'll have more on that with senior policy analyst at the Independent Women's Forum, Ines Stepman. First, I want to talk to you about protecting your online data. A lot of companies promise your privacy is guaranteed, but we know that's not true. That's why you need a new privacy and cybersecurity application tool called Secure. It's spelled S-E-K-U-R. Secure is using proprietary encryption and offering secure instant messaging and email. With Secure, all of your communication is based on servers and data centers hosted in Switzerland without using any of the big tech platforms. Privacy is a big issue now. Without real security, people can read your emails, messages, even your bank information. Secure will never mine your data and never ask for your phone number. You can send emails to your doctor, banker, lawyer, or anyone else with total confidence you're not being spied on by your internet provider or big tech. Secure is your solution to stop the constant theft of your digital identity. It costs only $5 for the messenger, only $10 for the messenger and email combination package. Go to secure.com and take back your privacy today. That's S-E-K-U-R.com and use promo code BUCK for 25% off. We'll be right back with more. Hold the line. The idea that I'm going to say, which I would never do, that if an unaccompanied child ends up at the border, we're just going to let him starve to death and stay on the other side. No previous administration did that either, except Trump. I'm not going to do it. That was Joe Biden last year assuring us that his administration wouldn't allow immigrant children uh, to go hungry. But apparently he'd be okay with letting a lot of kids in America go hungry. According to an article from the Washington Examiner, the Department of Agriculture announced that it would interpret Title IX to include sexual orientation 
and gender identity. This means schools will also be subject to this definition that certain federally funded programs, such as school lunches, that's right, school lunch, tied to the trans agenda and gender identity. So you better go along with this or you go hungry, apparently, according to Biden. Joining me now to discuss, senior policy analyst at the Independent Women's Forum, Inez Stepman. Inez, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Buck. This is a kind of wow moment, I think, just because it's one of those headlines you read, you say, that can't be right. But is it right? Because it seems like we've had a few reports on this now. Yeah, not only is it right, it's actually just the first salvo of, of what are probably a bunch of departments that are going to issue regs getting in line with the general promulgation of um, regulations on Title IX that the Department of Education is working on and is was supposed to release uh, you know, a month and a half ago. Now they're saying it'll be sometime this month. Um, they're playing with us a little bit as to when they actually release it, but we know what the substance of those regulations are um, and is rather. And and the, the major piece of that is that in fact, they're going to include gender identity as part of the definition of sex, which is going to force every single school uh, that takes a dime from the federal government, whether that's through a school lunch program, um, whether that's through, for example, a textbook program. So it could sweep in a lot of private schools. And then, of course, public schools all the way from K-12 and then all the way up through the university um, university level, all of those schools are impacted by Title IX. And their, their regulations are essentially going to say, you must accept boys who identify as women in every like sort of women's and girls space, or you will lose your funding. So yeah, I mean, you wrote in a Wall Street Journal op-ed that without congressional authorization or other constitutional authority, the Biden administration is writing new Title IX rules to socially engineer every aspect of the educational experience, from student speech and school athletics to high school locker room use and relationships between adult college students. I mean, that is a, that's a sweeping span of things that they're going to try to socially engineer under Title IX. I mean, so, so you mentioned the gender identity component. What are some of these? What are some of these other aspects? I mean, you talk about student speech. Uh, what are what are they hoping to uh, to force on people that's outside of just the gender identity issue? Yeah, I mean, there's a very good argument to be made. This is the biggest, most sweeping change to the law that's ever been made by unelected bureaucrats. There's a very good case to be made. Um, so not only does it essentially implement in the, in the context of education, more or less the Equality Act, which is something that failed in Congress, by the way. Right. Um, it, it also overturns uh, in two main buckets of constitutional rights, uh, regulations that are promulgated by the Trump Department of Education, um, which are in line with Supreme Court precedent. So it's not just that they're overturning regulations from the previous administration, they're they're contradicting Supreme Court precedent on in two very critical areas. One's due process, and the other is free speech. Due process, everything that happened to Kavanaugh, right? Um, we that's been happening on college campuses for a long time. There have been um, nearly 200 federal cases decided on due process favorably, mostly for boys and men who have then sued because they were denied their due process rights and they were punished on the on mere accusation of any kind of sexual misconduct. So that's one one bucket. Um, that, that is going to be reversed and those protections taken away in an unconstitutional manner. And on, on speech, it's because college campuses mostly, this is mostly a university issue, they've defined sexual harassment way beyond how the Supreme Court has defined it um, and, and starting to sweep in things that are protected speech. So for example, there is actually a liberal feminist uh, professor who had a, uh, was investigated under Title IX for publishing a public article about sex roles. 
Okay, so like this is sweeping in protected speech. This is not what people think of as sexual harassment. This is I heard something about you know sex, gender, sex roles, whatever, and it offends me, and that's harassment under Title IX. So that's a imp huge impingement on freedom of speech. Both of these due process, free speech, fundamental constitutional rights. This is I mean this is uh, this is stunning, Inez, and it so it sounds like essentially let's let's just say if I am a university student. And and I am and and someone says, well, I go by the pro, I go by the pronoun they because that is my preferred pronoun. Under the Biden administration's new interpretation of Title IX, I could theoretically, if I refuse to use the plural they pronoun for an individual who claims to be transgender, could I be sanctioned under Title IX? Is that is that where we're heading? Well, the school will be sanctioned, right? So the, it the school will be sanctioned. Right. then sanction you, right? right? So like school will either lose its funding or be subject to investigation. This is already happening because of course, as we know, schools are already very happy to do a lot of this. They're very happy to impinge on constitutional rights. They're very happy to redefine sex. Um, and so schools are already pointing to Title IX, even though these regulations are not in place yet. So we had this this episode in Wisconsin with with an a um, I believe it was a middle school, right? An eighth grade boy refused to use the preferred pronouns of of a they them classmate, and the school shut it down and punished the kid on the basis that. And then they pointed to Title IX and they said we have to do this because Title IX requires it. This is a violation. This is a Title IX violation. We have to punish this eighth grader for not calling his classmates they them. Um, so By the way, there's the a Daily Mail headline. My team, my, my team just told me about this. Furious parents rally at Virginia Middle School as board suggests punishing children for dead naming if they use trans classmates' old names. I, I mean, again, I read this headline. I think, come on, that can't really be. But it is happening, isn't it? It's absolutely happening, and if these regulations, there, there will be a notice and comment period. People can and should write in their opinion because it occupies bureaucrats as they have to answer every single uh, substantive concern. Um, but when these regulations are released, that will be the position of the federal government on our most powerful federal laws, which is civil rights law, right? Can so, I, I, um, and this Ines, is being this, made this is by bureaucrats. Just so I know, um, how far along? First of all, how do we know that this is what they're planning? Like, what what is that? What is that based? And also, how far along in the process? And do we know when this rule should is is supposed to be announced? So it was supposed to be announced back in April. Um, they continued meetings through May. Uh, now they're saying they're going to release it in June this month. Um, I don't know when exactly they're going to promulgate this, but they did leak it to Politico, probably on purpose to Politico and the Washington Post, the substance of these regulations. So it's mm. not really that much in doubt. I mean, things may be phrased one way or another way, um, but, but these three buckets of changing the definition of sex, uh, attacking due process, attacking free speech, those three buckets are likely to come out in the proposed rule very similar. Similarly, um, I honestly think they're playing with us um, because they know they can rely on schools to actually implement these changes ahead of the rule actually going into effect. So they're, I think what they're trying to do is, is minimize or delay the backlash. I wouldn't be surprised if these regs don't formally drop until after the election, for example. I was going to ask gonna you because they, they have to know that what we've seen in Loudoun County, Virginia and, and now in Florida with Disney and the trans thing for kids. This is turning into a, outside of their base and outside of the deepest blue states. It's a political liability for them. It's absolutely a political liability for them. Um, again, they're saying, and maybe it's true that they're gonna release them in June. Maybe they just are taking longer than usual as every bureaucratic process always does. Um, but I tend to suspect there's at least the possibility that they aren't gonna wanna 
delay putting this forward until after the election. And the meantime, they have schools who are, are like this Wisconsin school are enforcing it anyway. So they kind of have their cake and get like they eat their cake and have it too or whatever, however that phrase goes. Um, they're actually, these regs are being implemented as we speak by schools across the country. They get all the substance they want and they get to delay the political backlash for having actually promulgated rules this broad and this dismissive of fundamental constitutional rights. Inez, really interesting stuff. Good work. We'll talk to you again about it soon. Thank you. Thank you. The White House has announced that children under the age of five will likely be eligible to receive the COVID-19 vaccine in the coming weeks, which is totally unnecessary if you actually look at the data. We'll have more on that with the First TV's Tina Lowe in a moment. Stay with us. Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright, a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning. Let's talk about what we know at this moment. We know that many, many parents are eager to vaccinate their youngest kids. And it's important to do this right. We expect that vaccinations will begin in earnest as early as Tuesday, June 21st, and really roll on throughout that week. White House COVID-19 response coordinator, Dr. Ashish Jha says, children under five years old could receive their first vaccine before the end of this month, but are parents really that anxious to get their really young kids vaccinated? Contributor here at The First TV, Tina Lowe, joins me now to drop some truth bombs here. Tina, uh, what is wrong with these government bureaucrats who seem to think that there is a frenzy from parents to get their four-year-olds vaxxed? What's going on? All you have to do is look at the most blue areas of America to see how little vaccine uptake there has been for those five through 11. Even in, you know, indigo blue Washington, D.C., I think it's fewer than half of all five through 11 year old children have been vaccinated. And that's, you know, DC's 92% of Washington, DC voted for Joe Biden. You really couldn't get a more representative data set of what the president's base looks like. And, you know, they aren't taking it up. So it seems really unclear that there is going to be a mad dash for the under fives, especially considering that virtually no under fives have died of this. And it also just goes to show that the priority from this White House is not in ensuring that those seniors who, again, are the ones who are actually dying of this thing, ensuring that seniors are, you know, getting vaccinated, getting boosters. Instead, we're focusing on what literally dozens of deaths. I mean, even under 17, barely 1,000 Americans under the age of 18 have died from COVID. It just once again shows it is about appeasing a very, very specific, overeducated white millennial women demographic the president has been courting in this in, in his COVID campaign. No focus on global COVID outreach. No focus on just, you know, just keeping the hospitalization rate with the hospitalization rate low with seniors and instead all about just this performative anxiety about 
risking the idea that, you know, your kid could be one of a dozen four-year-olds who dies of COVID. Children currently represent, Tina, about 18.9 percent, it's pretty specific there, of all COVID-19 cases reported in the U.S. So that's more than 13.3 million infections. I mean, we've had lots and lots of, of kids who have uh, gotten the disease. And to your point, they're basically fine. And we also are to believe, based on the, on the data, that they're very unlikely compared to adults to even spread it to other people. So on, on what basis do children need the vaccine at all, I guess? I, I just wonder why are we even still having this? I mean, it's not just a conversation. I mean, the, the government is pushing this. No, and I mean, I think the only good thing is that you see globally, you know, global liberals have really, and Europe has really put us to shame in the idea of, of for them, you know, some of these countries that even had very stringent vaccine mandates for adults really made no push, like push to vaccinate children. You have a place like France where they had a very hardcore vaccine mandate for adults for a couple of months in place, got their adult vaccine numbers up really high, and now they're there was never really any regulation for the kids. I mean, from school closures to now, you know, vax mandates and requests. The U.S. has been a global outlier. And I suppose the only good thing about it is, you know, if you can't get a majority of parents in D.C. to vaccinate your five-year-old. I don't know how there will be a giant push to get, you know, newborns vaccinated. And again, for COVID, this has been true. And we've known this, you know, we can pretend March 2020, no one knew what the hell was going on. But by April and May 2020, we did know that this was quite literally just the flu for kids, and especially those youngest kids. We aren't even talking about college campuses where you do have more um, pre-existing conditions like obesity, like asthma, like, like type 2 diabetes. Among these youngest kids, they don't have any of those pre-existing risk factors. Right now, the biggest risk to their health is that they get locked in at home wearing a mask and gain a bunch of weight because they aren't allowed to go play out on the playground and socialize. By the way, speaking of the playgrounds and what's going on with kids still in the COVID, the, what should feel like the post-COVID era, but we're really not entirely there, at least in the blue states. People who live in you know, Texas, Nebraska, Florida, they're like, what are you even talking about? If you live in New York and California, I think Oakland just put mask mandates back in place and New York still has them and, and people are upset about this. On toddlers here, and parents are really annoyed with Mayor Eric Adams for keeping the mask mandate. At least some parents are. They're saying it's an absurdity. I mean, here he goes. A New York resident, I voted for Adams because his whole platform is that he would get things back to normal. It's just been really frustrating because it seems like Mayor Adams is doing nothing about it. There's been no update about what there'll be in the summer. And as a parent, it's very frustrating. Makes me question whether New York City is the right place to raise my family. That's Danielle Pollock of Bronx Mother of Two. I mean, you know, I, I can just say anecdotally, I think this is increasingly representative, Tina, of what people are feeling here, which is, so no one else is masked, basically. Adults aren't masked. And, and kids, 12-year-olds, not masked. 18-year-olds, not masked. Four-year-olds are masked. Like, what are they doing? No, Eric Adams explicitly ran on two major platforms. One, combating crime, as he was the uh, Brooklyn police commissioner. And two, bringing New York back. He has made this major push to have all of the office buildings in Midtown and Downtown reopened, to have you know, normal traffic back in restaurants. But his big thing has been the workplace. Now, here he is mistaking effect and cause. 
He does not realize that by keeping kids in this mask regime, you have tons of parents who have gone out to Connecticut, who have gone to, God forbid, New Jersey, because they don't want their kids going to school in this permanent masking state. I know personally a bunch of people who consider themselves lifelong Manhattanites who've decided to decamp to, you know, Greenwich, Connecticut. And you will not get those office buildings back to capacity so long as you have parents terrified, either because they have the mandatory school closures based on quarantining rules, which we know are still insane in New York, or because they just want to forego the masking regime entirely. You know, Eric Adams, he's been spotted jaunting around with models like Cara Delevingne at nightclubs, hitting up, you know, the most expensive spot, going to the Met Gala. These kids are still in masks. Not a mask to be seen on Eric Adams. And that's fine because he should understand that as a healthy person who has had, you know, upwards of a year at this point to choose to get the vaccine, not get the vaccine, whatever. But why put the most onerous regulation on the demographic, least likely, vaccinated or not, to come down with any severe case of COVID? And, you know, Eric Adams, he's had 100 days in office. He's, he's, he's had an ample honeymoon period. But I think crime isn't getting any better. And the mask thing is just really rubbing New Yorkers' nose in it. But in the last we, we actually have some, some data on this, Tina. Parents of school-aged children, uh, 40% say masks harm their kids. 40, 46% say masks harm kids' social learning interactions. 39% say masks harm kids' mental and emotional health. This is a Politico-Harvard survey. So, yeah, uh, Parents do realize this is actually bad. This is a problem. Yes. And the craziest thing about that political Harvard poll is when you, you know, bifurcate between Republicans and Democrats, even Democrats, you still have on all of those figures, a majority either think it's harmful or does nothing. We as citizens accept a regulation. We do not do so because it is useless. We accept a regulation as a populist because a majority of people are supposed to think that it is helpful. And the fact that not a majority of Democrats think that these mask mandates are helpful for their children just goes to show how much, you know, these federal bureaucrats and these blue state and blue city bureaucrats have just completely lost the plot on what people care about. Tina, thanks for being with us. Always good to see you. Thank you, Buck. After the creepy porn lawyer Michael Avenatti learns his fate, it probably wasn't what he was hoping for. We'll have that in quick kits. Stay with us. President Biden is living in fantasy land when it comes to the American people and the economy. Plus, Michael Avenatti gets a four-year term, just not the one that he'd hoped for. Those stories on quick kits, let's get right to it. Uh, first of all, the economy sucks. We all know that. Inflation is at a 40-year high. The cost of everything that you need to just live your life is much, much higher than it was before Biden took office. People know this. Three-quarters of the American people think the economy is on the wrong track, so that includes a whole lot of Democrats, although some of them will say, it's not Biden's fault. Yeah, right, whatever. Point here being, it's not good out there. Everyone kind of knows that at some level, but Joe Biden, he knows that his party is coming up, party in power, Democrats, they have the House, they have the Senate, they have the Biden administration, I mean, they have the Biden White House. He knows that they are heading for a shellacking in this midterm election. So what is he going to do? Well, try whatever he can to convince the easily swayed that, oh, no, that economy that you think is so bad, it's actually great. Watch. 
Since it took office, families are carrying less debt. Their average savings are up. A recent survey from the Federal Reserve found that more Americans feel financially comfortable than any time since the survey began in 2013. It's just great out there. Joe's, Joe's a genius when it comes to the economy, don't you know? He's doing a great job. Heck of a job for Joe Biden. Sure he is. Um, but what are they going to say? Well, it was all a mistake. We lied to you. Joe Biden's a moron. No, they're not going to say that, even though we can kind of all see what's true and what's not. Michael Avenatti, who was aptly dubbed by Tucker Carlson of Fox News, the creepy porn lawyer. Uh, Avenatti, you will recall at one point in recent history, back in 2018, was the single most frequent guest for a, a few months on CNN. That's actually true. He was the most, uh, most aired guest on CNN's air who was not an employee uh, of the network uh, for a few months. And he was talked about even by some Democrats as a possible uh, last minute, if you will, or a possible uh, out of nowhere presidential candidate for the Democrat Party. Turns out he is a creepy porn lawyer. He's a scumbag. And now he is going to four years in prison for stealing money from his client, Stormy Daniels. So yet another time where we see here the left was willing to elevate uh, human refuse in order to attack Donald Trump. And this guy was treated like some kind of a hero. I mean, if you go back and listen to what they were saying about him on CNN, on MSNBC, and the kind of articles that are being written in the most uh, widely read Democrat publications, they acted like Michael Avenatti was a, a great hero of the Republic. He is a scumbag lawyer who steals from clients, lies to people, and has no ethics whatsoever, and now he's going to federal prison. But those are the kinds of people they're willing to tell you are great as long as they were uh, useful in attacking Donald Trump in some capacity. There's David Hogg, the anti-gun activist, who tweeted this out. Non-Americans should not come here until our country does something about gun safety. Your kids are not safe here and neither are you. Please request your government put out a travel advisory to your citizens telling them it is not safe for citizens to visit the U.S. Um, I mean, he's just not smart. But again, when he was entering the world of politics, he was not yet technically an adult. I think he was 17. So they put him forward because he had survived the, uh, the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. He had been one of the students at that high school. They put him forward as a survivor of the shooting and as a child or as a, a non-adult. So if you criticized his policy ideas, you were a bad person. They did the same thing with Greta Thunberg on climate change, for example. So you're not allowed to criticize. You have to sit there and listen to somebody who, in this case, as we all see, now that he's an adult, I can say plainly, he's a moron. Total moron. Knows nothing. But they elevated him to hero status as well. Noticing a, noticing a pattern here, folks. And then Biden had a snarky response to the richest man in the world, Elon Musk, who was concerned about the economy. Watch. Elon Musk has, asked, has said that he has a super bad feeling about the U.S. economy. He's laying off 10%. You say Elon Musk about his feeling about the economy. Jamie Dimon has said similar things. Well, let me tell you, while Elon Musk is talking about that, Ford is increasing their investment overwhelmingly. I think Ford is increasing the investment in building new electric vehicles, 6,000 new employees, union employees, I might add, in the Midwest. Um, the former Chrysler Corporation, Stellantis, they are also making similar investments in electric vehicles. Intel is adding 20,000 new jobs for making computer chips. Um, so, uh, you know, lots of luck on this trip to the moon. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, you know. Yeah, who do you want to listen to when it comes to the economy? Self-made richest man in the world or 
the guy who can only create jobs for his crack addict son to get paid off by Russian, uh, or rather Ukrainian and Chinese uh, oligarchs and corrupt business interests? I think you know the answer. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is next. Shields high. Each morning, the President of the United States receives a highly classified briefing on the most important issues facing the country. It's called the President's Daily Brief, or PDB. It's delivered by America's spies and analysts. Well, now you can hear your very own PDB in the form of a podcast hosted by me, Brian Dean Wright, a former CIA operations officer. Each morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, I'll bring you 15 to 20 minutes of the most important issues facing the country giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.